Hi there, it's Nick here. Thanks so much for your continued support of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Wherever you consume your podcast, it is great to have you with us. I would alert you again to the racing app which is your one-stop shop and the easiest place now to download the show each and every morning as soon as it's ready. Many of you are doing so already, and that's not just because you can get access to all 880 episodes of this show, and very easily as well, but you can also watch live races. You can watch all the replays, and you can stream in the card with an active Fitstairs account. So do download it now, uh, the racing app. It's your one-stop shop and you will be able to catch up on all the previous episodes of your favourite daily racing podcast. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Beautiful, bright, sunny, frosty morning here in TW11 and the plunging temperatures mean that we are plunged into inspection roulette season. Meeting at Kelso is currently undergoing a third inspection as I speak to you now. Weatherby has passed one and we'll be playing this game deep into the weekend with the prestigious fixtures at Newcastle and Newbury. Shishkin is a confirmed intended runner at Newcastle this weekend. Whether or not he starts, of course, is a moot point, as we discussed yesterday. And Newbury's Coral Gold Cup fixture, we're keeping our fingers firmly crossed for that. With that in mind, I'll be speaking to trainers Lucinda Russell, Peter Scudamore, Warren Greatrex later in the programme, and some important revelations about Ahoy Senor and Bill Baxter. First of all, however, the significant news that emerged last night was that the petition had reached 100,000 signatures. What petition, you ask? The petition that we've been speaking about for a few weeks. It's the one that's backed by the sport, calling for measures surrounding affordability checks to be scrapped. What, Racing Post senior writer Lee Motter said, does that mean in theory? It means, in theory, Nick, that um, the, uh, the, 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 the subject could be debated uh, with a full debate in Parliament. There's no requirement for that to happen, but the the government sets out um, with um, petitions that are made like this, that if you get 10,000 signatories, um, the government will issue a response, and if you get to 100,000, there could be a debate. Um, The sport will be wanting there to be a debate, because I think uh, British racing feels that the more this subject is voiced and debated, the clearer it becomes that the government's plans for, uh, for affordability checks as they stand are flawed and are not going to achieve the end result that they wish them to achieve. So there's been a real there's been a real desire to get to 100,000. This petition was launched by British Racing with uh, Nevin Truesdale um, being the originator of the petition. It galloped along very quickly in its early stages. Then, as one would expect, it slowed down. Um, Racing Post obviously been heavily involved in it. We organised emails that were sent to um our, our, our subscribers and many other industry uh, followers by uh smart prescott and nikki henderson they accelerated the uh the number of signatures that were added to the petition there's actually one more still to come from from john gosden and that got us to around 10 past nine last night the magic 100 000 figure and you'll have seen nick on on, on x 
the artist formerly known as Twitter last night. A lot of people posting pictures of the the government's petition website that showed one hundred thousand and one signatures because sadly it galloped past the 100,000 point in less than a second. Right. Okay. Let me just read you what the government's guide to procedure says. If any petition receives more than 100,000 signatures, the petitions committee will consider whether it should be debated. Some e-petitions are considered for a debate before they reach 100,000 signatures, but this is rare. Well, this hasn't been. Most e-petitions that meet the threshold are debated, but the committee may decide not to put forward an e-petition for debate if the issue has been debated recently or will be debated soon. If the topic of an e-petition is already due to be debated in a different type of debate, the Petitions Committee can ask for the petition to be tagged to the debate. This means that the e-petition is listed in the order paper as being relevant to the debate. Now, A, are we guaranteed a petition? And B, given the fact that there is a, a debate, and B, given the fact that Matt Hancock called a debate about the future of horse racing in Parliament uh, some weeks ago, might the Petitions Committee think that we've already been round this boy? Well, they certainly could, um, Nick, um, which would be disappointing, um, but far from impossible. As you say, Matt Hancock has raised this uh, in the House before, and the subject has been spoken about uh, within the Palace of Westminster before. But one would still hope that if that the, the, the document that you read out there uh, states that mostly these um these 100,000 petitions uh, do get a debate in the house one would want that to happen although i know that getting um uh, getting this sort of thing uh, debated and discussed is sometimes harder than one would imagine and i say that as someone who has been repeatedly trying to get um stuff out of the gambling commission via freedom of information request it's not always as easy as one would wish yeah, unless you were in any doubt as to racing sense of urgency surrounding this, then you only had to read what the Racecourse Association uh, Chief Executive David Armstrong said in your paper, The Racing Post, overnight. Uh, I put in a call to him this morning and I asked him why he felt the need to fire something of a warning shot across the industry's bows uh, as regards its overall level of likely financing in 2024 and the resulting impact on prize money and more well i think the as budgets are put together for next year for race courses and the race course groups we're starting to really see the pressure of the fall in betting turnover and that betting turnover uh particularly in online uh, gambling but in the high street as well that decline is at least 10 percent year on year each month as we go by and of course, betting turnover uh, specifically drives media rights and to some extent levy, but particularly media rights, which are a very important income stream for racecourses. So as, we, as you would with any business, as you start to see your turnover of your, or your biggest line of turnover fall by 10%, you start to get pretty worried and you have to look at what you can do to offset that. Um, you mentioned the levy. Of course, the levy being based on gross win behaves slightly differently and bookmakers are adjusting their margins to protect their bottom line and that actually protects the gross win number. So the levy income at the moment remains quite steady. Okay, so the levy income remaining steady. What about um, income from, from media rights? Well, so income from media rights will simply fall, follow the pattern of betting turnover. So if betting turnover comes down 10%, media rights come down 10%. Now, there are some adjustments in the rates for next year, 
which are improvements from the race from racing's point of view. So it, it won't quite be as much as 10% decline in media rights, but it'll certainly be a decline of some level. How much do you think? It's difficult to say because it depends on what individual bookmakers um, advise as they expect for next year. Uh, and then you apply that to adjustments in the media rights rates to work out a number. So it'll be, it won't quite be 10%, but it'll definitely be a negative number. I was struck by the fact that the cost of premier, premierization was cited as, as something that could be problematic, given the fact that premierization has been hailed as a, not an answer to all racing's prayers, but at least a major step forward in um, you know, enhancing the sport and its financial health. Well, I think there there are certain risks that were well documented at the time when we were you know we were implementing the strategy and rolling out the racing product work that identified particularly that there would be a, a move of prize money from core racing to premier racing. So whilst across the board the effect will be positive, there is a risk that certain race courses, particularly some of those in the core segments, might see a decline in uh, in profitability uh, from that move of prize money. But as you say, we expect that the benefits of it will outweigh that over time and across the whole sport. So I still remain very optimistic about the benefits of two-tier racing and the premier segment that we've created. And we'll see the benefits of that come through next year. Just to be clear, those core fixtures, they are not common or garden fixtures. They are fixtures that are still quite important on a, on a weekend. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, Core is the name we're using at the moment for everything that's not Premier. So if you've got 170 Premier fixtures, the balance, you know, which is 1,200 and whatever, or 1,300 and whatever it is, are Core. So it's a very wide range of fixtures, includes some of those fixtures where there have been Saturday afternoon moves, uh, where we expect, of course, that the the crowd impact will be measured very, very carefully. Okay. When we talked about offsetting the the likely losses, how best uh, how best can the industry do that? Are you referring to the the, the premier the the moves on the Saturdays for premier? No. Premier in, in in terms of if there is a shortfall in racing's finances, how best can the sport act to offset that? Well, the most important thing we we can do is is obviously continue to work on trying to reduce the impact of the uh, gambling review in the white paper, uh, and to try to uh, reduce the impact of affordability checks when they come in. So that that continues to be a very important piece of work. We continue to work on the options for levy reform, which might include which might deliver uh, benefits in 2024. We're optimistic about that. But in other ways, you know, racing has the race courses particularly have to be careful uh, about what they do with their budget. Costs are rising, inflation is still higher than it should be. Um, utilities, rates, maintenance costs, everything like that are rising. So, if what a race course being prudent needs to do when its co- when its costs are rising and its incomes falling, it has to look for cost savings. One of the ways and the most uh, straightforward way they can do that is to reduce prize money. But that's, of course, not what they want to do. No racehorse wants to reduce its prize money. It's about what they might be forced into. David, thanks for your time. Thanks, Nick. All right, that was David Armstrong. I mean, it doesn't fill you with joy, Lee, does it, that? (laughs) No, wasn't wasn't that sort of a ho-ho-ho Santa Christmas message, was it? Um, Now, we have heard this sort of thing... um, before from uh figures within 
the race course sector. This is not a, a new message, if you like. Um, figures within race courses traditionally try to um, be realistic, as they would see it, in terms of what can be achieved, particularly on the prize money front. And sometimes that proves accurate. Sometimes they're actually able to exceed um, what they are projecting they might be able to achieve. But I think it's reasonable that David Armstrong sets out where we are at the moment. And I think key to to what he was saying and what he said in, in the Racing Post today is that the importance of that fall in, in betting turnover, um, which he says in, in his post piece, is due to affordability checks and also reduced promotional activity on horse, horse racing from bookmakers. We saw an example of that yesterday with William Hill pulling their best odds guaranteed um, promotion and inevitably, given so much of racing's income is based on betting turnover, is that if that is going down, and we know it is going down, then that inevitably is going to have an effect. Just one thing that struck me there, it, it effectively... Uh, David Armstrong sounded a bit like um, Cameron giving a conference speech in sort of 2009, you know, preparing, preparing. Yeah. It's austerity, isn't it? It's uh, draw your horns in, be prudent. Don't spend too much money, but prize money's got to be maintained as best it can because prize money is the Holy grail and everyone's obsessed with prize money in some cases correctly, but not in all. No, exactly. And I, I thought, at what at what cost is this to the customer? At what cost is this to the person who actually just enjoys going horse racing? Does it mean you know no capital expenditure at any of these race courses? Does it mean worse facilities? Does it mean higher entry fees or at least entry fees that aren't aren't competitive with the rest of the leisure market? I, I sort of feel like it's the fan and the consumer that is going to lose out in terms of experience here. Well, certainly potentially, yeah, because, I mean, given where we are, if you are a race course that is set to be hit particularly hard by all this, then capital expenditure is bound to be something that race course executives and boards will be looking at and asking, can we justify spending this on this at the moment, given what we're facing? What what I'd say against that is that we had... Uh, enormous fears for the future of some race courses as we progress through COVID, knowing what that was doing. Now, race courses all survived that, some in, in better health than others, but they at least got through that. The The real note of concern here, I would say, is that David Armstrong states in his in his post piece the range of so-called headwinds facing the boards of every track are taken together even worse than the pain felt during the covid crisis which seems to have been quickly forgotten so the idea that what we're facing now is worse than what we were facing uh, during covid is pretty stark um but there are enormous or there are considerable factors coming in at once that I, I think it's realistic for anyone to say that that they are bound to hit the race course sector hard. And if the race course sector is hit hard, then participants will be hit hard through prize money. And as you say, Nick, if, if customers, if the people that we put the show on for, because horse racing is first and foremost a form of entertainment and your prime customer group are those that you wish to entertain, 
if for whatever reason they enjoy the experience less than they had before, then that is a massive concern. Right, now weather permitting, we should be royally entertained this weekend at Newcastle and at Newbury. Newbury for the Coral Gold Cup. This is a race that is enriched so significantly by the presence of a genuine grade one horse. We've got one in the shape of Ahoy Senor, who admittedly disappointed on his seasonal debut uh, at Weatherby. I've been speaking to his uh, trainers, Lucinda Russell and Peter Scudamore, and by the way, a bit on their beloved Corrick Rambler very shortly. But I, I began by asking them whether there was a, a reason behind the uh, disappointing run at Weatherby last time, save for that juddering blunder with a circuit to go. This is what they had to say. Yeah, I think, um, you know, he's like Carrot Rambler, and well, actually even more so than Carrot Rambler, he's always taken his first run to get going. And um, I think he, um, I think he, I think he'll improve massively. We, we talked the year before about maybe running him over two miles for first time, um, and just getting him going, but we just didn't have time for that, the ground never came right for it. So we ended up going for, for Weatherby, but no, he's, he's going to always come on for that. Um, uh, he is in great form, he looks great, his skin's good, he's moving well and uh, I think it's going to be a great race. We know that he likes it around, around Newbury. I think it'll be a super race for him and to get him back second race of the season. Uh, absolutely. Uh, he, as you say, he's, he's run some wonderful races around there before. You mentioned ground. Now, the ground could be pretty decent at the, at the weekend. How crucial do you think that is? Because I've got my own views. Yeah, I suppose it's easier for him. Yeah, the back, if he hadn't won the Cotswold Chase on horrible ground, I would have said, um, you know, he's better. He, he gets a bit of a bounce by Dylan Thomas. He gets a bit of a bounce off better ground, doesn't he? And it, I think it helps horses miss a bit. I mean, he's won at Aintree twice. We always think the ground is spring ground. So um, I don't think it'll, you know, as long as it's safe, I don't think it'll in, inconvenience him. And I suppose also better ground. I think it helps the top weights a bit. I think the softer ground. The ground gets soft, so I think it's more difficult for the top weights. But you know, I mean, look, it's a seriously competitive race. Um, but yeah, in some ways, it's an honour to have top weight in a race like that. And um, you know, say we, we can't really go to Kempton with him. Could have gone to Haydock last weekend with him, I suppose. But um, you know, he's not without a chance. Um, talking of Haydock last weekend, Skew, have you? Um... And, and talking of soft, have you have you stopped Molly coddling Corrick Rambler now and put some graft into him and, and actually got him fit? <laughs> no, I say he's got worse. <laughs> Corrick Rambler does what he wants to. It's funny, isn't it? Um, I watched all the things in the things. I mean, he's, he's probably run as well as he did it. In, in the two runs he's run at Carlisle last year, he didn't run very well. I thought he ran it as well at Kelso. I mean, I thought he ran it probably, I think that some ratings put him... Of, you know, within better than he ran at Newbury last year. So, I mean, I think we're on course to run a go to the Gold Cup. Um, Luce is thinking about a race in between, but I, the only reason I can stop her doing that is that I suggest the cross-country race at Cheltenham when she spits the coffee out across the table and says, no way, Jose. So, I think he'll probably do the same as he did last year, have one gallop somewhere, go to... Cheltenham, probably the Gold Cup, and um, then the National, I suppose. Um, but you know, look, I, I'm, I would say this, wasn't it? Look, his, his form's there. He's he's been with fast to slow. I, um, 
I think he likes Cheltenham better. I think I think he has an each way chance, you know. So you don't think we'll see him before the Gold Cup, between now and the Gold Cup? You don't think he'll run? There, there is discussions, but um, I don't think so, no. Who wins the... Who te- who tends to win these arguments when it comes to Korak, Lucinda? Um, can I just say that now the, the conversation now is between myself, Scoo, and then and Michael sort of uh, uh, adjudicates over it. So uh, it's great now that we've got people all arguing about the same problem. Um, who normally wins I do. I don't let Scoo think that. Let Scoo think it's the idea. So, so where's he going to run next then? Don't know. <laughs> so we we may not see him to the Gold Cup. Gold Cup. There we go. This could this could run and run. Um, I can't let you go without asking about a, a couple of the the young horses, Javinko and Primoz. Where are we going to see them next? Uh, yeah, Primoz was very disappointing at Haydo. I think went off too quick. Just uh, just wasn't quite right on the day. Uh, we'll try and find him a nice race back back up north and, and try and find him a, a, a sort of confidence booster. Um, Giovinco is aiming for, for Sandown. Uh, I'm sure the race has got a very smart name. Uh, but he's going down Sandown for the three-mile novice chase uh, in, a, in a fortnight. It, was, it is the one that went from, that used to be at Newbury. It used to be the John Frank of Newbury, and they've changed it to Sandown instead. Lucinda Russell and Peter Skudamore there with news on Ahoy, Senor Corak Rambler and more. Also put in a call this morning to Warren Greatrex, who trains the Topham Chase winner, Bill Baxter, who's going to step up in distance this weekend. Will it be in the rehearsal chase at Newcastle or will it be in the Coral Gold Cup at Newbury? Here's what the trainer's thinking as we speak. Hi, yeah, morning, Nick. Um, well, I would like to go to Newbury. That's my uh, favourite option, but it's obviously a case of one, the ground drying up a bit. Um, it's good to soft there now. Um, it could tighten up a bit even more, which wouldn't be ideal. Um, and obviously, with the dropping forecast, I know that Newbury are just a, a little bit concerned, not for Friday's racing, but maybe for Saturday. So that's my favourite um, option. But I'll just uh, have to wait and see and whether we uh, double declare and have him in at Newcastle as well. Um, he's ready to go and I want to run him, but uh, it's just trying to trying to find the right place really it was definitely on the radar and we sort of thought fairly early on the Carlisle race would have been ideal um, it fitted in well and the profile for a second season novice for the Coral Gold Cup is uh, is very good so yeah it was it was definitely on the radar obviously last year we never ran him over three miles um, sort of on purpose really he, he was doing so well over two and a half um, and I just feel sometimes if you're if you're able to to keep to that, you'll you'll have more in the tank later down the line. Um, he'll definitely stay. Um, he stayed very well over two mile five in the Topham. Um, he's in seriously good form. I'm very happy with him. Um, he, he seems very progressive, and I think the the step up in trip will bring out quite a bit of improvement. I think so obviously the Grand National probably is the main target, and we've got to tick off the. Um, the things you've got to do and one is to finish in the first four over three mile for the season so that is an option and then we can move on from there Um, and if (laughs) he might not jump off again so you never know do you (laughs) well exactly Um, and uh, if you do go to Newbury which is clearly your favourite option if it's on are you going to be able to get James Bowen to ride him 
Uh, I don't think so. Um, he, I think he's got a ride for Nicky um, and also 10-2. Um, James is a very muscular lad <laughs> and uh, so he would struggle to do that weight. So the plan is at the moment, Paul O'Brien is coming to school him tomorrow. I've been very impressed with him this season and um, he's going to come and have a sit on him um, tomorrow morning and we'll go from there. So I think he'll be he'll be riding if all goes well tomorrow. Good stuff, Warren. Thanks so much. Lovely. Cheers, Nick. Thanks a lot. Right, that was Warren Greatrex. And before him, uh, Lucinda Russell and Peter Scudamore. Good luck to Ahoy, Senor. I think that's a great idea going to the big race at the weekend, the Coral Gold Cup. And big ride for Paul O'Brien, it looks like, on Bill Baxter, the top and winner. So that's what's happening there. What's happening at Newcastle is that Shishkin, as we suspected yesterday, will run in the rehearsal chase. Ah, and as Gary Witherford suggested yesterday, I'm led to believe that he will be running without cheek pieces, which Lee Mottishead seems quite a sensible idea, given the fact that cheek pieces take away the peripheral vision, as uh, Gary was saying. And if somebody's running up behind him, he ain't going to see them. Yeah, and I, I thought that was a really fascinating interview yesterday um nick with, with gary and the way he explained it actually was entirely logical in the sense that if the horse can't see the, the the person behind him waving their arms frantically to get him to start he's less likely to start although the the, the final point that you got out of um gary about how how many runs one can expect to get from a horse before this problem uh reappears was a tad ominous um against that it's really exciting that he goes to to newcastle on saturday um many of us have said over and over again how we believe that jumping would be more interesting at this top level if more of the real grade one class horses contested handicaps as they used to do. Now, clearly, this is happening on Saturday at Newcastle, uh, not because it was Nicky Henderson's uh, first choice scenario. Indeed, uh, Nicky would say himself that he's not a trainer who is particularly uh, enthused by the idea of running his best horses off top weight in handicaps. But it makes that rehearsal chase now a fascinating race. It will be interesting to see how many horses go up against him because if you look at the the race card for the race nick there are only a handful of horses who will be still in the weights if shishkin if shishkin runs although some of those immediately below him in the weights um will actually be in a better position because their weights won't soar as a result of him coming out if he does run nick he'll be racing off a bha rating of 173 denman won his second uh hennessy gold cup off 174 rare indeed are the occasions when horses race off this sort of mark and win a handicap it was something chris cook uh, discussed in his in his race post front runner email uh, earlier in the week. It, it makes this race really really interesting. Um, I suppose. Can, the can I just can I, can I take you down memory lane quickly? Go on, go on, go on. Right. So the first time Volcatini actually didn't start, yes, was in the Tingle Creek when he was two to one favourite to beat Desert Orchid in the Tingle Creek. Refused to race, got booed all the way back. Was with yeah. limited handicap in those days. Yeah. Third of December nineteen eighty eight. A week later, he reappeared in a handicap at Cheltenham, and bolted up. There you go. Off top weight. 11 stone 10. He gave a stone and 10 pounds to Harley Street Man and gave him a good thrashing in the George Stevens handicap chase at Cheltenham a week after he'd refused to race 
in the Tingle Creek. And then two weeks after that, he finished third in the King George. And then it all kind of fell apart. Well, of course, and of course, Vodkatini, for those who uh, don't have quite the, the 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 memories or the rings around the trunk that we've got, Vodkatini was the, the, the pin-up horse, is the pin-up horse for all those who decide at the start of the race that they might quite like actually not to go through with the effort of racing over two, two and a half or three miles. He he was the absolute textbook example of that sort of animal. Um, Shishkin, as, as you discussed on the pod yesterday, Nick, I think he he was going along this journey towards this point. There was always a possibility of it happening. I guess one worry would be uh, the, the thing that Nicky Henderson has talked about in that he's worried about the the start at Kempton uh, for the King George in that the the grandstands, the stables, etc. They're all behind him. And it's sort of the same at Newcastle, isn't it? Where they start the three mile races, they're not racing directly towards uh, the grandstands or all the racecourse stables. So it will be fascinating to see how he gets on. But what what a day for people going to Newcastle on Saturday! I had one of my best race days of of last jump season um, at Newcastle on Fighting Fifth Day. It was sensational. We had Long Presse himself carrying a big weight winning the rehearsal chase after constitution hill and anyone going there this year to get constitution hill and shishkin on the same day what a joy let's just hope the weather is kind and that shishkin puts his best foot forward Uh, right the whip um uh, rules have seen their first disqualified winner since their inception um earlier this year and that disqualified winner was mixed wave who's been disqualified from a race at market raising because his rider alex edwards went nine strokes over the accepted threshold of seven over jumps a lot of those nine strokes were slaps down the neck but they were slaps down the neck with his hands off the reins and occasionally in the forehand position it was always going to happen at some point wasn't it um and uh sir mark presco referenced already once in this in this podcast had always been a has always been a big proponent of disqualifications and use the line that once somebody does it nobody else will ever do it again um and i i, I hope he's right because I, I i absolutely don't um i'm not one of those that thinks that this is a bad thing i think if you break the rules and particularly if you break the rules to the extent that alex edwards broke the rules then it's perfectly fair that you are disqualified just as if you break the rules in terms of uh, interference in, in a race you would lose the race um there wasn't a social media uproar yesterday about this because as you say nick he's gone so far over what is permitted he's an experienced jockey He's clearly uh, made a mistake and just got this one wrong, but I don't think he can have any real cause to complain. Pam Sly, the trainer, um, understandably said she felt sorry for uh, the the owners and the yard, um, but the, the truth is the horse only won the race by a short head, beating a horse whose rider kept within the rules. That being the case... I don't really feel that that, that that what's what's happened here is particularly controversial. Okay, a little more from Lee when we round off the show. But first of all, it is off to Hong Kong and J.A. McGrath. Nick, great news that Ryan Moore will be okay to ride in the International Jockeys Championship at Happy Valley next Wednesday. Ryan has recovered well from a nasty fall at Kyoto 10 days ago. 
It was only a lowly maiden race, but the fall put him out of action, costing him the ride on Namur in the Group 1 Mile Championship and also a couple of other winners that day. On Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Global Rankings, published this week, Ryan Moore is the world's number one jockey, comfortably in front of James MacDonald, who is number two. So that means that the two best jockeys on the planet will go head-to-head at Hong Kong's unique track Happy Valley in the IJC, alongside an array of other jockey stars, including Tom Marquand and Holly Doyle, Zach Purton, Bowersan Mirzabayev, Vincent Ho, Yuga Kawada, English-born Rachel King representing Australia, Karis Teton, Lyle Hewitson, and it goes on. The list is long and impressive. It's a meeting to look forward to, a great start to the HKIR Hong Kong International Races Week. On a slightly lower plane, we have eight races at Happy Valley today, and I tip J-Mac, James McDonald, is going to be very much to the fore once again. He rode a double at Sha Tin last Sunday. He rides a horse called Talent Supremo for new trainer Cody Moe, who's doing quite well. He's already got four winners on the board. Talent Supremo goes around in a Class 4, 6 furlong race, race 5 on the card. Uh, not a bad type at all. An English import who won two uh, and also uh, in the UK and also was second behind Flaming Rib, Michael Owen's good sprinter. Uh, that was in a listed two-year-old race going back a couple of years ago. He's got plenty of, uh, plenty of talent, this uh, talent supremo, and I think he can win race number five. So for race five, number five, talent supremo to beat number one, Act of Faith. And J-Mac can follow up in the very next race as well with another Cody Moe trained horse and that is number one Happy Fat Cat who's uh, looking for another win in the St Andrews Challenge Quake which is the feature race on this eight event card. So that's Happy Valley today and that's the Hong Kong Beat for this week and we'll have more for you in an exciting HKIR week next week. All right excited to be taking this podcast to the Hong Kong International uh, race day next week and very excited to see Golden 60, the tremendous eight-year-old seeking yet another win at the, at the highest level in the Hong Kong Mile. His regular rider, Vincent Ho, is with me now. And, and Vincent, you, you put him through his paces in a trial yesterday. It's going to be his first run since April next week. How did he go? Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me again. And uh, yeah, Golden 60 was good yesterday. Uh, we just need to let him have a you know, I stretch out uh, for the whole mile. Uh, and, well, we went quite slow, of course, at the trial pace and at the corner was uh, was very slow. And then in a stretch, he stretched out nicely. Uh, the last, about the last 200, I uh, asked him a little effort and he uh, responds well. So I'm um, still happy with his progress. Of course, it's not easy uh, raising a top level after a long break, but uh, we'll get him, you know, as fit as possible. Uh, and that's an interesting point because in previous years he's gone into this race off the back of a, a relatively recent run. Um, do you do you feel that you can get him as straight, as fit, as ready with that with that long break into this? Yeah, I think so. He's not a difficult horse to train and, uh, you know, we gave him enough time to work through it. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't feel heavy at all. He feels fit. 
uh, you know, and when I asked for effort, he had an instant response like before. So um, I've no doubt for that. Uh, he he should be pretty fit at the at the international as well, and he's he always performed quite well uh, when he's fresh. So uh, you know, and his mindset, of course, will help another ten percent out of his performance. He is a pretty extraordinary horse. He's you know eight years old now. He's been on the go an awful long time. He's won twenty five races, most of them at the at the top level. J- just give me an indication as to what he now means to the Hong Kong racing public. Uh, he's like a public icon, uh, you know, because it's not just on the racing uh, news. When he won, uh, he usually be uh, on the on the TV news as well. Uh, so he's like a public figure, uh, and of course, uh, the racing fans loves him. Uh, we, I'm I'm just a privilege to be on him, uh, and you know he's he's a star for sure. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll uh, well Golden Sixty enjoy racing a lot himself. So uh, he will enjoy it this year as well. Can you remember the first time you sat on him and what you thought? Because you've ridden him in each and every one of his nearly 30 races. Yeah, uh, I remember the first trial I rode him, uh, not the first gallop. But the first trial, he showed uh, bravery already uh, and his competitiveness mindset. Uh, I was going through in the tiny gaps and he has no hesitation. He just went for it and uh, he, he wants to beat the other horse. So, uh, you know, from, from then on, we know he's quite special and he got a great turn of foot at, uh, at the trials as well. So, uh, yeah, from, from a young age, he already shows something uh, different to, to the other horses. And he won two Hong Kong miles and then was, was beaten last year by, by California Spangle. How much does that defeat still, still itch you and how, how eager are you to, to avenge that? Yeah, of course, we're eager to win every race, hopefully. Uh, and uh, some kind, sometimes circumstances didn't plan out, uh, or you know, uh, of course, a couple of years ago, Stewart's Cup also hurt us a bit uh, from my own mistakes. But uh, you know, the whole team and the owner, Mister Chen, has always uh, you know back us up. So. Uh, you know, it's, everything is easier when when the when the team is behind you, and uh, you you know both of us can just focus on on the race uh, to win again. Vincent, thanks so much for your time. Best of luck. Look forward to seeing you next week. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, mate. All right, thanks to all my guests today. Uh, Lee Mottershead is with me. Lee, before we go, it's just worth highlighting something that's about to come on the radar and i think we can anticipate it on december the 6th which is what wednesday next week uh, and you can tell me what it is 
Yeah, so th there was a suggestion it might have actually come today, uh, Nick, and Bill Barber's referenced that today uh, in his column. It's it's a report um, by Dr. Eleanor Bowden, who is um, well known to people working within within racing. Uh, she's a big fan of the of the sport, has sat and sits on uh, various committees and uh, groups, and she has been working on a piece based around sexual harassment in British horse racing. Um, that was it was it was referenced by uh, Neil Hayward uh, in a media briefing. Uh, Neil Hayward is the uh, the chair of the Sports New Industry People Board. He spoke about this last week. The expectation is that it will focus primarily on uh, racing yards and the behaviour and language used by some people in racing yards, um, and therefore, uh, I think the, 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 that will be the, the the main point of discussion. But there will also be aspects of uh, racecourses involved in this too, and I think there will be discussion of the fact that in seventy five percent of British racecourses, female jockeys still have to enter male changing facilities in order to complete preways now that i think to anybody would seem extremely uh bizarre and wholly um inadequate uh, and i think you would could draw comparisons by saying would a gym be allowed to open if female clients of the gym had at any point to enter male changing facilities now race courses have been on a journey to uh, improve their weighing room facilities some have done the work really well some are still doing the work but this i think will be uh, a major wake-up call for them and indeed for the sport next week and hopefully the sport will react to this in the right way and in a constructive manner all right lee now i've got a bit of breaking news here julie harrington has responded to the hundred thousand signatures on the petition the bha chief executive she says it's been fantastic to see the whole racing industry get behind the petition the fact that we hit more than a hundred thousand signatures in a few weeks is a clear demonstration of the depth of opposition felt by punters across britain to the proposed financial risk slash affordability checks these checks will have an impact on so many people who bet safely on horse racing so it is vital that the issue is debated and properly scrutinized by MPs. It is also important that the government recognises the voices of more than 100,000 racing fans and bettors and looks again at the potential impacts of its proposed policy. I would reiterate there is no guarantee that there will be a debate. Uh, it is not guaranteed. It is up to the pe petitions committee and as I said at the beginning of the show it may be that they consider this a matter of importance because it has uh, been part of the conversation for a little while. It may be that they say, well, you've already had your chips here with the with the Hancock debate a few weeks ago. So, we will uh, we will see and watch this space. Lee, have you got a tip for me for today? I'm going to Hereford, Nick, to the 125, the Blackmore's building contractor's novices handicap chase. Seamus Mullins has his string in fine form and loudspeaker. A four-year-old who raced at not a bad level on the flat, got off the mark, over fences 12 days ago, runs off a £5 higher mark here and in a pretty low-level race, I'm expecting the loudspeaker to go two from two. So loudspeaker in the 125 at Hereford. Lee, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. If you do enjoy this podcast, please do give us a rating and a review wherever you consume it, and we will see you again tomorrow. That was 
Wednesday, the 29th of November. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.